welcome back to Everything Just Changed, where we are wrestling with what it looks like to follow Jesus in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world. And you've probably already noticed that this is not Bryce Hales' sultry tones welcoming you back, but mine, that is Brad's. And for better or for worse, I am in the driver's seat today with something a little different than what we normally do. Joining me today is a, an esteemed panel of critical thinkers, occasional writers, and passionate ministry practitioners that I've been privileged to get to know a little bit over Twitter, and I know I am beating up on social media a lot lately, uh, but this has been one of the few bright spots. So um, these guys, uh, and, and honestly, that's actually quite relevant in part because we're going to have a roundtable discussion on a topic that we all found ourselves, um, uh, let's let's say, caught up in on tw- Twitter, and that is on this this broad topic that is deconstruction. And you can cue foreboding music now. But let me first introduce them before we jump into that. Um, Michael Agapito uh, is completing his MDiv studies at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, or if you're from Louisville, Kentucky, you say Louisville. Um, he blogs occasionally at the Confessing Millennial and has written for Christianity Today and the Solo Network, among others. I'd also like to add that if you have any interest in learning about church history, and especially the history of evangelicalism, I have learned more just following him on Twitter these last several months than can be contained in a single book, in part because he has read all of them. Uh, so, Michael, welcome. Thanks for, for uh, joining in the, the fray this morning. Or this yeah, good to be here. Is. Excellent. Uh, thanks. Ian. Ian Harbour is the communication director for a nonprofit in Denton, Texas, and a contributing author to an upcoming book, Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. He has written for the Gospel Coalition and Relevant Magazine, and I believe uh, you ended up coining the term revangelical, right? Or, or did you just kind of make it very kind of become part of the nomenclature? Yeah, I can't take credit for it. It's actually the title of a book I admittedly haven't read, uh, but I like <laughs> the way it sounds and it made it into its way to the vernacular somehow. So. Yeah. Awesome. But thanks for having well, me on. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And and uh, the the article he is referring to in the Gospel Coalition, uh, where he uses that term evangelical, it was my first exposure to the term and uh, kind of spirit, especially, uh, is going to be extremely relevant today because it kind of catalogs his journey from evangelicalism to mainline Protestantism and then back again to evangelicalism because, I don't know, maybe he was very desperate. Um, no. There's, there's, there's more there. I, I kid, I kid. Um, uh, so yes, welcome Ian. And then last but not least is Brooks Jones, uh, who is the associate pastor at City Collective Church, a church plant in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He wanted me to tell you that you have probably never heard of him because he is too conflict averse to tweet that he disagrees with you, but it's actually more, what's that? That's that's right. Well, I think uh, we can give you the benefit of the doubt that it's far more likely the case that you're just too busy doing the ministry that many of us are just writing about. Uh, so uh, he, it, it should be said that this gathering of you know, verbal processors was his idea. So if it bombs, you can ratio him on Twitter. Um, yeah, welcome. Yes. Yeah, thank you. I am, uh, I'm, man, I'm honored that I get to be a part of a group who has redeemed the bird site for you. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. Um, honest confession. I don't even actually, why, why do we, why do they call it the bird site? Like, why don't they just say Twitter? Is it like, they don't want to pop up in a search term? Like, what is that? I guess maybe it's like saying 45 or something on Twitter instead of president. Uh, I don't know. I think it's just to be funny. You know, people think they're funny. Cool. I, uh, it's a, it's a joke, Brad. I, I, it would not be the first time that I, <laughs> humor, humor, Brad, something that you should, you should, uh, learn. 
I'm, I'm working on it. I, uh, my, my staff at my church, uh, <clears throat> have given me, uh, good natured grief all the time that for everyone, most people fun is fun, but for me, serious is fun. So, uh, in line with that, in fact, let's talk about deconstruction. Um, in just a second, I'm actually going to kick it over to Michael to start us off, uh, because he was, uh, I think at least from where I was sitting, kind of the spark that connected some of these dots here. Um, but I want to kind of lead with a disclaimer first. We're going to talk about this topic with nuance, but it's still going to be really general and about those who are, for whatever reason, questioning, wrestling with, and otherwise digging um, away at what has been the foundation of their faith for most of their lives. That might be a theological deconstruction. It could be a, a cultural, social deconstruction. Um, and that's hard and painful. And there are so many reasons why that journey might have been sparked. But I've asked these guys to let me record this conversation for our podcast, not because any of us have a you know brilliant silver bullet solution, but because they honestly just care enough to listen and wrestle, wrestle deeply with these stories. So please hear all of this through that lens of compassion and earnest faithfulness. And I, I, I know these guys in their heart enough to like, this is, this is not worth uh, having a conversation around because <clears throat> we just like to, you know, theologically postulate or whatever. It's because like this really affects people and, and it's profoundly important that the church have a deeper and better understanding of what people's experiences are as, as they are, feeling the need to deconstruct from especially evangelicalism. So, uh, Michael, on that note, start us off. What is deconstruction? Why is this suddenly something that has seemed to consume Twitter? And uh, like, how how did you enter the fray? I'm sorry, the, the conversation uh, around that. Yeah, well, uh, deconstruction is um, it's kind of a loaded term um, for what it's worth. I'm not I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. I, I, I had a lot of people on Twitter, I think, try to, like, I, you know, like, educate me in what, what deconstruction is or isn't. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm personally not, like, married to the term, but uh, basically deconstruction is kind of uh, this postmodern idea of um, just, like, picking apart um, what, you know, some people might call your worldview or beliefs, you know, longly held, um, you know, uh, presuppositions and ideas that maybe you were, like, born and raised with, um, and just kind of like strooping it down, uh, to like, you know, um, to, you know, find out, uh, more or less like what you believe or, or don't believe. And so in, in terms of Christianity, uh, it, it's, um, really kind of, it, you know, it, it is what it sounds like, you know? So if you think of deconstructing like a house, you're like kind of stripping it down, you, you strip down your faith or, or what you believe, um, into, uh, you, you know the who knows what the the idea of uh, the postmodern ethos um, of our culture is that uh, you know uh, it doesn't really matter what's on the other side. You're you are the artist. You get to create uh, reality in, in a way according to you know your, your own terms. Um, mm. and, and so like the idea of construction deconstruction, you know it like I said, it's it's a postmodern idea. It came from like postmodern, you know, philosophy. And, you know, you could think of uh, philosophers like Derrida and Foucault and um, this idea that the text, you know, um, uh, doesn't um, have necessarily intrinsic meaning or uh, you can like create your own meaning with the whole death of the author thing. Um, mm. That's, that's what I, I know about it. Uh, like I said, I, I'm not an, I'm not an expert on it, but pertaining to Christianity, that's kind of what the idea is. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. It kind of feels, I don't, I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but back in the day, like when I was in seminary, I had a good friend of mine who was wanting to model and engage with people who were feeling, who were particularly skeptical toward the church and Christianity in general. And we started a, a blog called a, a confessions of a seminarian uh, and you know, your, your own, uh, the confessing millennial. I, I've, I've often been like, Oh, we mean confessing in the same term. This is great. This is beautiful. Did y'all have the internet when you were in seminary? You know, <clears throat> you know, they, they scratched uh, yes, on walls and you, you had to actually put this little, it's called a CD compact disc, uh, from a company called AOL, uh, into your computer. And then it would work. I'm not that old. Anyway, um, <laughs> blogging oh though, gosh. seems to be, uh, have dated me too, but no, the, <laughs> the posture there, it was very much like I am the deconstruction at that point always felt like we're seen to be deconstructing because of a, a conflict of the relationship between their beliefs and the brokenness of the world. Hmm. What feels a little different about this phase is and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, please jump in here because but it feels like this deconstruction deconstruction is fueled far more by a a contradiction between uh, beliefs and the brokenness of the church specifically. Hmm. Like there were few people that I was talking with who didn't have a really uh, traumatic experience with a, an evangelical church or at least the complicity with politics, which, you know, that's a whole other topic. But yeah. Yeah, I I think something that's important to note is when it comes to deconstruction, I mean, there's always some sort of catalyzing event that brings someone to the point of deconstructing. And so I I don't think anybody who's deconstructing is doing it for the fun of it or for some fun intellectual exercise. It's always the the uh, response. And maybe that's not the right word for it, but the outcome a lot of times of some traumatic experience that they encounter. So whether that's um, intense suffering that they go through that raises questions in their life or um, abuse in the church that they either witness or Mm -hmm. happens to them um, and they don't know what to do with that, especially when it happens in the church and it's people that they were, you know, they trusted and now that trust is broken, that betrayal is there on top of the trauma of the abuse itself. But then I think too, right now, what makes a lot of the time we live in unique is sort of Brad, what you were talking about is it, it it feels more political in Mm -hmm. that the polarizing of our nation, I think is really what we're seeing right now is where the, the conservative church is, it feels like digging their heels in a little bit more uh, politically than even when I was raised and I was raised in a very conservative environment. Um, The rise of Trump 2016, you know, that felt like a different uh, marking time in the conservative church. And so now we're seeing this deconstruction out of that, this exodus out Mm -hmm. of that, I think where people are looking at that and saying, man, you said these were your values. And I don't understand how, what, you said you believed led to the political outcome that I'm seeing now, I'm out. Or that's at least the beginning marker of a lot of questions and doubts. And so I think that's an important part of it is it's it's not just some intellectual exercise that people are doing, but it really does come out of a place of Mm. hurt and uh, in a lot of cases, trauma and searching for answers because it feels like whatever they were handed Mm. uh, just isn't holding up the house anymore. Yeah, well, yeah, and then yeah. never mind the fact how much the like one of the greatest apologists of the faith recently after 
after he passes, we find out that Rabbi Zacharias has 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 done remarkably evil, chronic acts of sexual harassment and assault against people. And by every indication that we have right now, the system itself, so the church, in many ways, enabled it. So in a lot of ways, yeah, I think you'd have to be pretty uh, uncompassionate to not be able to uh, understand or see the validity why someone might struggle, for sure. Yeah, and I think, too, so, um, man, I love that I get to kind of talk through this stuff with you all because— um, in so many ways, people like y'all are kind of the people like that I read to help frame the experiences I'm going through. And one thing that I've observed is, um, I think I shared this with almost all of y'all on Twitter, but there was this kind of art illustration that was passed along. That was, um, what people see when you're deconstructing. And mm-hmm. it was, um, the first version was like what you see and it's you with everyone in their back turned to you. Um, as if like, they're kind of not interested in you. And that's how you feel is that they've distanced themselves. And then, mm-hmm. um, it's what they see. And what they see is like the conservative church more often than not is the devil carrying you away. Um, mm-hmm. and deconstruction is not just kind of from my observance now, um, something that it's almost become, it has become a moral thing. Um, there's moral value in it. And in my opinion, um, what I see is that it's almost for a lot of people become a rite of passage into adulthood. Um, hmm. As we have like learned to um, think autonomously and kind of like craft our own individual spiritual journey, it's almost like a quinceanera where it's like, oh, this was my life. I grew up in the traditional church and then I had my big deconstruction moment. And now I've, I've kind of built my own faith. Um, I've kind of done this thing for myself. And it's almost like this is where you become a man or a woman in American society. Um, it's like a rite of passage, Michael, that, that seems related to, uh, (laughs) what ended up being a bit of a hornet's nest that you kicked when, uh, I think your tweet says something along the lines of, um, I can appreciate deconstruction, people going through that, but I can't support or be excited about or celebrate people deconstructing Jesus, not just the cultural, uh, trappings of their faith, but Jesus too. Like, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to ask is if that if that was if you thought that that was part of what was going on there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I will say to to be fair, um, uh, to be fair, my, I think my tweet sounded a little bit more flippant than, you know, the, the kind of measured thing that you just shared there, which I, I definitely didn't mean to, you know, um, to make it sound that way. I think a lot of things are lost in translation on Twitter because it's a place for hot takes. I, for the record, I, so I, I, I made, so, okay. What I said was uh, for the, the listeners, what I said was, sure. um, this is in, in reference to uh, a famous pastor's son who has, you know, deconstructed and walked away from faith. I said something to the effect of some of y'all have deconstructed so much that you're rejoicing when someone tosses mm-hmm. his faith away. And, and I, I tweeted that I expected it to get like maybe six reactions got like thousands of reactions and like hundreds of comments most of probably most of which were you know just um not very favorable uh you know to say the least um and and so uh b- before i go on i do want to say a couple caveats which is um for the record i i meant uh, that tweet was meant for for christians or people that claim to be christians mm-hmm. and and i saw people saying things um in regard to that video 
that said something like, oh, this is the best thing I've seen on, it was on TikTok, uh, on TikTok all day. And that's, that was kind of the background of me saying, mm. as a Christian, you know, that believes that the Bible is true and that Jesus is the way to eternal life and salvation, um, I, I can't rejoice in that. And so I had to kind of qualify myself, to be fair, in some of the comments saying, I, I, I'm happy that a lot of people are walking away from abusive situations, kind of like what we were just talking about, but I can't rejoice mm. that they walked away from Christ. Uh, the second thing I, I want to say is um, if, if I could do it all over again, I would have uh, picked a different word than tossed because I think mm. a lot of people view that as, uh, you know, um, Ian, Ian was just talking about how there's always a catalyst, right, for, for deconstruction. And, and I think people took that to mean that um, I thought people were just like, you know, flippantly, uh, mm. you know, walking away or throwing away their faith. And, and I, I didn't mean it in that way at all. So, you know, for the record, it, it could have been um, worded better and whatever. Well, and, um, and just to, I, I don't, definitely don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but like, man, I feel like you modeled in the uh, ensuing uh, firestorm and the comments uh, that followed that tweet, a remarkable and gracious humility mm. that where you said that many, many times over <laughs> um, and, and validated that like, man, that doesn't happen often on uh, in, in social media. And I feel like it's just actually a, gosh, even if, you know, we're, we're not necessarily going to change minds because of a brilliantly worded, you know, limited by character tweet, but you demonstrated right. a significant character in that, that I think is, 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 is part, at least one brick in the wall of rebuilding um, any kind of a trust in, in the institutional church. So, yeah, I, I just didn't want that to go unsaid because your, your heart is like, it's not like you waited until now to, to, you know, to own that either. Right. Yeah. I, I, I tried to, I definitely, uh, I tried to get it out there. Um, in terms of your uh, original question, though, um, which I think was along the lines of uh, you're bouncing off of what Brooks said about like how deconstruction, mm -hmm. um, which in, in a way was what my tweet and my follow up tweet was all about, which deconstruction has almost become. Well, it has become and for a lot of people and, and unto itself um, mm. and even somewhat of a, a religion or a religious community. There's like, you know, um, Brooks was uh, like kind of referring to like almost like an initiation, right, right, of like mm. how you talk about, you know, this is my journey um, in and out of evangelicalism, you know, and uh, I, I think, Brooks, I was trying to grasp what you're saying, but I, it sounds like you're talking about how there's kind of like a moral framework connected with mm -hmm. that and, and so on and so forth. So to answer your question, Brad, I know that this is going on a little long, no, but good. like, um, but to answer your question, yes, I think, you know, there, there is a lot of that um, in the deconstruction community. Yeah. I, I like the political connection is interesting because there's a lot of conversation. Gosh, everywhere about liberalism versus illiberalism and how the left and the right is increasingly uh, unable to give space for people of differing opinions and perspectives and then to voice them. And this almost felt like a, a very similar inability to kind of hold or maintain space for, for different people, mm -hmm. because the very existence or the very thought that someone else might believe that they're like, like this was, this is the thing I couldn't get over. Right. Why, 
why is it shocking and offensive to think that I, because I believe in Christianity because it is the most satisfying and I believe it to be the most true by definition, is there any way for that to be the case and not somehow imply that other perspectives are, I don't see as true or as satisfying or as flourishing, right? Like, like, but why, like, Brooks, I, I liked the, just the way you described it. Yeah, again, as a rite of passage or an end of itself, that that seems to be the shift or the change that makes that so difficult to hold space for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, Ian. You 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 talked a lot, you know, in our kind of our, our Twitter message exchange. You were you were referencing how your article got kind of like a second. Uh, wind so to speak or maybe a fifth wind by now i feel like it it has it has a, it has a long shelf life man uh kind of like peeps um but like do you what, what was your sense of the connection um like what was the connection being made with your article in particular yeah i think you know when uh michael's tweet blew up and everybody was talking about it uh michael decided to reshare my article and say you know for reference uh check out this article. And so, you know, it is kind of interesting. I wrote that article right about a year ago and it kind of blew up overnight and then COVID hit a few days later and everybody Mm. forgot about it. Understandably, like I don't expect people to be thinking about me, uh, but it (laughs) came back all of a sudden. So uh, deconstruction is being muted on everybody's timelines again. Right. And I think, you know, when we're, when we're talking about deconstruction and Brad, I hope you edit your podcast because I lost my train of thought a little bit here. Um, <laughs> Maybe. No promises. Well, well I'll yeah. just, I was going to say... Well, I, well, yeah, I was going to go off something Michael said. So, so Michael, go for, go for it. Yeah. Well, I, I don't even remember what I said. I, I did want to say, though, that like, I felt kind of bad afterward. I felt like I kind of like dragged you back into the fight. You know, <laughs> like you, you got out. And I just like took you by the ear and dragged you back into this huge... Everyone's mad at me. Hey, fight. you should read this article by Ian. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's on the Gospel me. Coalition. Yeah, we're <laughs> non-triggering organization. I know, <laughs> totally neutral. Um, oh my gosh, that's yeah. Hilarious. No, turns out Michael is the the uh, the uh, uh, godfather of shitsters on Twitter. I guess we so. didn't know it. Um, yeah. yeah, no. I remember been, my train of thought. I remember okay. my train of thought. I'm gonna hop back in before Go I forget for it. it. But basically, what I. You were talking about how come when, you know, as a believer, how can we hold space for other people who have differing beliefs and what, how come that can't be, um, at least our motives be given the best intentions, right? Where, man, just because I believe differently than you doesn't even mean I think you're a bad person or, Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And I think it, a lot of that comes back to the communities that people grew up in. I mean, Mm. you're not having atheists deconstruct, you know what I mean? These are evangelical Christians who are deconstructing and leaving the church. And so Mm. I think that's because of what they grew up in, how they were treated. I understand this. I mean, the moment I started having questions, my deconstruction happened before exvangelical was a term. I mean, it Mm. was emergent church when I deconstructed. And so, I mean, when I first started asking questions, I was in a conservative church. I went to a conservative Christian high school. So I'm the guy in Bible class who, I mean, every 20 minutes is, you know, 15 minutes is raising my hand saying, okay, but what about this? What about that? You know? And I mean, I had, my teacher was all but saying, I'm not a Christian. There was Mm -hmm. other people who in my class 
who would turn around to me and one guy called me the downfall of America, which was like the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. You know, there was people, you know, I'm reading love wins by Rob bell and my, you know, the guy who's like the campus youth pastor brings me into his office and sort of a bait and switch scenario to where, all right, I, I told you I wanted to hang out with you, but actually let's talk about hell. And I mean, these are situations where, I mean, I feel like I actually got off pretty easy when you think about it. I'm mm. a straight white man. I, I have all the privilege in the world and I still felt maligned just for having questions. Mm. Imagine if I was um, in any sort of uh, identity minority where that in and of itself outcasts you from the crowd. So I, I think I understand a little bit on the other side of that to where when people feel maligned and then they finally get a piece of freedom and then those people, even when they're being nice, try to turn around and say, Hey, I still disagree with you on that. That can Mm -hmm. feel harmful. And so I I think I feel a lot of empathy for those people who feel that way. I I don't know if I can blame them. And I think that's what makes it difficult is um, when I'm, when I feel like I'm trying to reach back into that, um, perspective and say, I understand where you're coming from, but have you considered this? Mm. And the reaction is really strong against that. It's frustrating to me. And of course it's hurtful. And I I know what my motives are, but I don't feel like I can blame those people for reacting to me the way they are because in probably a less than Mm. what they've experienced way, I've been in those shoes Mm. and I know what it feels like to be maligned and I think that's why a lot of this does come back to what are we doing as a church? If we don't have mm. space for this where people can actually ask questions and come up with hard things and spend, honestly, years wrestling through certain topics, um, you know, a, a lot of times, at least in my experience, those are shut down very quickly. And I, that's why I, I think so much of this conversation has to be listened to by the pastors. I, I think mm. pastors, you know, it was whatever year it was, 2011, 2012, when John Piper tweets, farewell, Rob Bell. And every pastor just kind of went, great, glad we're done with those guys. You know what I mean? Glad we're done with the emergent church. And and I'm sitting here saying, Cause are John you Piper's kidding? Because John Piper's the Pope. Right. Yeah. You know, and finally we put an end to Rob Bell and excommunicated him. And I, I'm over here saying like, I feel like this is growing more and more, but it's actually Mm. underground now in podcasts and conferences and books and online communities. And I don't blame them for that. But if there's people deconstructing left and right out of the church, and it's it's hard for me to blame them. I I really think pastors should be paying attention to these people and saying, man, these questions you're wrestling with are really true. There has been insane abuse Mm. in the church. There has been... Uh, these different issues, you did go through this really difficult thing. And frankly, nobody was there for you. And I'm so sorry. And and I, I'm, I'm hoping the church, the evangelical church does some reflecting and less defending. And I know yeah. when I wrote my TGC article, that was my heart was I'm not really trying to defend anything per se, but this is my story. And I hope somebody who's deconstructing finds it compelling and thinks maybe I don't have to leave Jesus in order to own my faith for myself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. And you you helped connect a couple dots for me because I, um, (laughs) you said that you, you know, nobody's deconstructing as an atheist, but that's actually a good description of how I came to faith as an adult in college. And I, except it wasn't like an institution's hypocrisy, it was my own. And, but that happened at a time when, like, you know, you could have 
good faith conversations and disagree with people. And that has shaped in a lot of ways, like even at, at the table, we do a, you know, a live text in anonymous Q and a after every sermon, you know, pre pandemic, at least, um, mm-hmm. where we, you know, people could literally ask anything. And that was always, even for people who didn't, uh, you know, submit a question, they still found significant safety and encouragement that like, hey, this is the kind of place where I can can do that. And they felt like seen and heard. And that's really great. And I think this is helpful for me because what your experience that you had that I didn't was that like, you know, hey, I want let's get coffee. Uh, I, I need to bait and switch you and talk mm-hmm. about the banned books that you're reading, right? Like that's not, that not being part of my experience is actually why I need to be listening a lot more to this stuff because this is, like you said, this is being driven underground because of the church's disdain and unwillingness to listen. And unless that changes, you're, I, I, you're right. That's, it's only going to get harder and more painful for people. Yeah. And what I see too is like, I don't know if y'all see this or not, but like, Ian, when you were talking and, Similar to what you heard, Brad, like when you're talking about like there's not atheist deconstruction, deconstructing, right? Um, Kind of just this idea that I think it's really similar to like kind of what we're seeing in like this this new um, kind of civil rights movement where um, what you're deconstructing is the dominant culture. And now um, I'm not saying that... um, I'm not saying that Christianity and like whiteness are like synonymous, but for a long time, it was like, if your father was the church, your mother was white male supremacy and never married. And those were your parents. And you grew up in a really dysfunctional family. If you grew up in America. Um, and it's like that there's, you don't deconstruct something that's not the normative culture, you know, like mm-hmm. that is, that is what everything is being compared against. Um, and in some ways fighting to exist alongside. Um, and so I think that um, it's really telling that this is why we see this is because this has been the defining culture of what is normal in our country for so long. Um, And it it is unfortunately married to white, particularly male supremacy for the majority of our country's history. Um, And there's a lot to deconstruct there, you know? Um, But with that, like to that, like I know I mentioned this, um, this image earlier, but as a pastor and Brad, I don't know if you feel any of this tension but um, that image where it said that what people see when they see you deconstructing is they see you as the devil carrying you away. Mm-hmm. Like it pains me so much because I um, I didn't really grow up in evangelical culture. Like I I kind of joined the faith right when everyone was leaving, and I was like, "Where's everyone going? This is like <laughs> this is like the best family I've ever had." And now everyone's bouncing. Sweet, thanks. Yeah. Um, but. Um, for me, it's like, man, like we try so hard to create a space where people can do that well and faithfully and in support. And when when my honest questions or even pushback or portrayed as someone attributing your work to the devil, it's really difficult mm. to figure out how to like nuance that and walk faithfully without um, without kind of taking like a, a syncretism approach to it, if that makes sense. Well, and I think yeah. too, you know, what you're talking about, how if the church or uh, if I forgot exactly what you said, but if the church is your father, then white male supremacy is your mother or something along those lines. I mean, yes, that is the water we grew up in. And I forget what the, the quote goes exactly like, um, but it's used on the left a lot. I think there's something to it is that when 
um, you're accustomed to privilege, equality looks like oppression, or it might feel like oppression. And yeah. America's changing. America is a changing mm-hmm. country over the past 20 years, you know, since we've all been growing up. And I, the church hasn't really made any moves to change with it. And so when the the culture starts changing around you and demographics are changing around you and the church digs its heels into, no, actually, this is the way things are. We're not going to change to be like this. Everyone else goes, well, the whole world is changing. And I feel like you are not seeing it and you're blind to it. And in fact, you like it that way uh, because you have um, benefited from this for so long. And now that it may not work out that way for you, you don't want to do anything. And so, I mean, it's, it's raising up people that don't look like us at the end of the day is a huge part of it. Um, but when those people get stuffed back down for a myriad of reasons, um, then I understand the backlash that comes at that expense. I want, let me ask a question about, uh, this feels very related. Um, Michael, I've, I've poked you, uh, over Twitter a few times, um, about like, is it worth even keeping the label of evangelical? Because, right, if you use, whether you're talking about the the quadrilateral or like whatever definition of it is, like evangelical, evangelicalism is a movement and a culture um, that doesn't have, like there's no steering wheel for this, right? It's just whoever is influencing the most because it's kind of, it's not anti-institutional. It's like a institutional. Um, and you've, you've had some really, like, I've really appreciated your perspective and points about how much evangelicalism is not just American. It is also global and that there are other perspectives that we can just prioritize within evangelicalism. But I'm just kind of, what does that look like? Like how, how does that path forward actually shift the conversation number one, and then Uh more importantly, but still downstream people's experiences such that the deconstruction is it's, it's more clearly what people do need to deconstruct is the evangelical subculture and not evangelicalism. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I, I think so. Uh, so to answer your first question, I've actually talked about this on Twitter before, you know, had small thread, but, but essentially I've, I thought of like three things essentially, uh, of, um, if evangelicalism is as a movement is, you know, going to save itself from itself and like, you know, from white supremacy and, and, and all that. Um, one of those things is, uh, uh, have, have an incisive, you know, public theology. I think, um, either we're, a lot of us evangelicals were raised, um, with the implicit belief that Christianity equals republicanism, either that or the pastors were too shy to talk about anything politically related. Now, I, 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 I agree that church shouldn't be partisan, but I think, you know, Christianity has political implications, um, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, uh, you know, racism or, you know, immigrant loving immigrants or whatever, or whether the lives of the unborn or, you know, sexuality. Um, so that's one thing. Number two, I would say, um, uh, you big know, shout out to Caitlin Scheiss there. Sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to give her free, I just wanted to give her a free shout out to Caitlin Scheiss and her book Liturgy. Yes. Calls, if you haven't read it, fantastic. I, yeah, I, I recommended it on Twitter the other day, actually. Um, okay, uh, number two, I so the the second suggestion that I had actually, you know, these are no, in no particular order, but the the second suggestion I had was to get be rooted in the creeds and confessions because so much of evangelicalism mm-hmm. is rootlessness is 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 unrooted, I mm-hmm. guess, um, that they haven't thought of like 
the 2000 years of church history that, you know, have thought about these type of things. Um, a lot of them, uh, a lot of it tends to be like uh, dispensational premillennial, which I'm not here to like bash that, but it like definitely feeds into, you know, the kind of. You can uh, bash it. Oh, okay. Just well, bash it. It's, it's good. <laughs> this is a safe place. <laughs> it, 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 it's through, I, I think a lot of the uh, words aren't coming to me, like fanaticism, I think of like mm. the religious right you know, in, in a lot of ways. Um, so that's number two, uh, to be rooted in the creeds and confessions and church history. Number three, though, I think is actually the most important to me, at least, which is um, take a step back and platform uh, black, brown, and uh, minority voices, you know, people of color, um, both domestic, you know, so like black and brown voices, uh, um, the African-American church, uh Latinos, um, et cetera. And then also globally, you know, the church is growing the most, the evangelical church, by the way, is growing the most in the global South, you know, like Africa, um, the Middle East, uh, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, Latin America, even, right? Uh, the Because the um, you're right, the history of American evangelicalism has been the history of white evangelicalism. And I think the um, kind of progenitors of modern evangelicalism in the 20th century, you know, uh, Billy Graham, Harold Ockengay, Carl Henry, they had a lot of really good intentions, but I think they were blinded by the fact, um, some more than others, they were blinded by the fact that they were just like seeped in white culture in, you know, a very just kind of unfortunate time period. And they, they um, needed to hear the prophetic voice of the white church. Mm. Now, I, people, I think, within the evangelical movement, people like Carl Henry were, I think, a little bit more, like, attuned to some of the things that were, were um, going on. So, I, anyway, I, uh, like, in terms of, you know, racism and, and stuff like that. Sure. Um, yeah. But to answer your question, so those are, like, the three suggestions that I would have moving forward. And, and That's great. And to, to answer the question, is evangelicalism worth keeping? At this point, I would say yes, especially, you know, you know, uh, taking into consideration the global church. In fact, Tish Harrison Warren just had a really great Christianity Today article on that. Um, mm. and, and taking that into consideration and the fact that movements aren't static, um, if we view evangelicalism as, as a movement that still has room for growth and learning, then as N.T. Wright put it, you know, uh, last year, I think, or maybe like a year or so ago, um, it's just too good a word for like the crazy uncles to, you know, own or, and, you know, mm. for us to let it go. So gotcha. um, yeah. it's kind yeah, of, that makes you know, sense. Tangent, that, but. It, it really, especially seems that that like in this particular moment, that rootlessness, um, which I mean, as we, as Bryce and I ex explore on this podcast, the, the culture of individualism that we often throw stones at as outside the church is actually a huge part of within evangelicalism where that rootlessness is, is, is stemmed from and is coming from. And so there's a sense that until and unless key institutions are renewed from within using the very suggestions that you're talking about, um, there's, it, it's just, we're still going to be just trying, having to crank up our volume to outshout other people. And that's not the way of Jesus. So, um, I, let, let's, let's pivot a little bit. Um, Brooks, you uh, part of the prompt for our conversation here was um, a really 
<laughs> an outstanding sermon uh, from John Mark Comer uh, in Portland about deconstruction and ideologies that were part of a sermon series. And beyond the fact that I am just like in ways that I don't normally uh, feel or experience unless I'm listening to Tim Keller preach, uh, like really struggled with uh, jealousy over how like beautifully dense and yet accessible he packed in a ton of stuff. And so mm. you you had some points of discussion that, that are especially relevant to this, but particularly rooted in like a biblical way to respond to all this. So like, yeah, could you walk us through what you're thinking there? Yeah. So, um, Brad, I don't know if you listen to John Mark a lot. Um, but man, I like straight up at this point when I meet people in Chattanooga, if they're a Christian and they don't have a church home, I'm like, Oh, well, we're pretty much off off brand Bridgetown. So like <laughs> we're into that kind of thing. Um, Does Bridgetown know that? Uh, yeah, they knew. <laughs> Excellent. Um, <laughs> Good. So, um, yeah, but no. So John Mark, uh, man, he took like a beautiful passage from Second Corinthians ten, and like his ability to connect language to what is happening, like real time as we experience it. You know, like um, he uses Paul's kind of language of basically just how we um, deconstruct or kind of demolish like these these strongholds um and his whole thing is that deconstruction is a natural part of the life process and um kind of like taking a big step and normalizing that for churches because i think that um so much of i know like my generation maybe um ian michael i guess like i, I guess we're zillennials i don't know what we are anymore it changes i feel like every week but the youngest uh, millennials yeah um but yeah, so so much of us is like, oh, we like you don't have to believe everything to belong. Um, you don't have to be super dogmatic about anything. Like we have to be so much more accepting and um, kind of tolerant of these ideologies, which is goes hand in hand with deconstruction and pain and all of this. Um, but what he says is that deconstruction is a natural impulse we all have. Um, but we are to deconstruct the world and by the world. Um, he gave a really, really couple really good definitions, but um, basically one of them is he said that it's an in, in the New Testament, it's a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, social norms that are integrated into the mainstream culture, and they are eventually institutionalized, where they are corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. And that is something mm -hmm. that um, me personally, like if I'm not being self righteous. And my contemporaries just don't like hearing that we do. Um, but he says that we are to deconstruct that with Scripture, that the work of the prophets, what so much of the people that I know want to be on Instagram or Twitter, and I'm not even trying to throw rocks from a glass house. Like, mm. I get it, right? Like, we should speak out against evil things. Um, but I think so many of, or maybe I speak personally, so much of my life has been like, this is like a prophetic calling on my life to speak out against these things. Um, so much of the time it's been me deconstructing scripture and the people of God with habits and ways and views from the world. Um, and mm. Mark basically says that we are to do the opposite as Christians and we are to tear down and demolish the demonic strongholds that the enemy has in our life with scripture and the views of the authors of scripture. Um, and I just thought that it was such a helpful conversation topic mm. where I mean, I was literally like, holy cow, did he just say that? Like, he, like I would be, I would get X amount of emails and 
I can't believe that um, he's even thought through this enough and is so connected to the heart of Jesus that like he sees how this is relevant to this scriptural passage. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't make that connection. Yeah. No, I, when he was when he was walking through that part, it it hit me how much. Right. We I don't think he's I don't think he said this, but if he did uh, pretend I'm paraphrasing. Uh, but right. So much of our very being is is rooted in this neglected doctrine of the Imago Dei. Like we are made in the image of God and the common denominator with the ideologies that he was talking about. And and also, I feel like this is a major distinguishing characteristic between those who are deconstructing in the way that we experience as like genuine, like hurting and uh, struggling, wrestling with the the faith and the implications of their deconstruction versus um, those who were like maybe celebrating uh, the the deconstruction as a means to an end is basically because we are ditching evangelicalism, but keeping the individualism that remakes God in our own image, mm-hmm. and that's that's a fundamental. Uh, that's the prince, uh, you know, the principles and principalities of the world that uh, Paul is talking about in Corinthians. So, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I wonder just how much of like your own uh, engagement with people over your article, like, is that a, a distinction that is helpful for? for how you're kind of working through that and listening through people's experiences or what? Yeah, definitely. I do think that individualism is still there. And, you know, Brad, you've done so much work around individualism and your article on mere orthodoxy was probably the best article I read last year. I mean, individualism is the biggest thing that I can think about that's driving all this. And it's not, and you're exactly right. Everyone's taught evangelical or uh, taught individualism in evangelical churches. And, and that's mm. one of the, the most difficult things. It's when, mm. and it's not all wrong. And I think that's what makes it even harder is that, you know, uh, <clears throat> if salvation is individual and it's about my individual relationship with God and me getting to heaven one day and me avoiding hell and me being a good person, it, it's very individualized, you know? And again, well, I mean, the, the one word you used in every single one of those examples was me. Right. And I mean, that, yeah. that pretty much sums up um, any belief statement that I, I grew up with. I don't know about you guys, but, and the thing is, it's not all wrong, but it, it, you have to incorporate the people of God in that and how we are doing that as a community. And so when people start to break that down, you take that out you take out those beliefs, but you keep that individualism where it's, I, maybe you don't believe in hell anymore. Maybe you don't believe in, and you need salvation anymore, but it's still about you at the Mm. end of the day. And so if Christianity was this tool towards self-fulfillment, then maybe there's better tools out there that would get me there where I actually want to go. And Mm. so Christianity can't be a a, pa- a path of self-fulfillment, a means of self-fulfillment, it has to be a, a path of self-denial and living in the kingdom of God and and being united with Christ, not united with our true inner selves, even though being united with Christ makes us more ourselves than we ever were before anyways, because we're finally alive instead of dead in our sins. The Preach. problem is, I mean, what, you know, what Brooks was talking about is deconstructing the the world with scripture i don't think people are handed the resources to that you know jesus talked about Mm -hmm. he told the parable of how um the the person who goes into the storeroom and brings out treasures new and old i don't know how many people are being handed those treasures in our pews i think what Mm -hmm. is being handed down is recycled um 
cultural, individualistic Christianity that makes me feel good today. It's moralistic therapeutic deism. I mean, I'm not the first person to say this, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what I'm, what's frustrating to me is something that Michael alluded to earlier is you have 2,000 years of what I would argue is the most global, diverse, richest tradition that humanity has ever known, and we're settling for um, uh, something that gives me comfort on Sundays when there's so much more treasure to be given, uh, but those resources aren't being taught. Now, is a 30-minute, hour-long sermon on Sunday the perfect place to do that? Uh, I think it's a good start, but that's not all, you know, it's going to be, I think our churches have to take discipleship more seriously. This is something that JT English is talking about. And I owe so much of my reconstruction to him. He wrote a book called Mm -hmm. Deeper Discipleship. I was Mm -hmm. part of the program that helped get that he talks about in that book where, I mean, he took, you know, hundreds of people in his church at the village church here in Texas that I live, you know, a few minutes down the road from, um, how to, you know, how to do doctrine. And it was historical theology. It wasn't just, you know, believe this, don't believe that, and you'll be saved and you'll go to heaven. It was, here is the riches of our tradition. Come and, come and feast, you know? And it, it's a completely different way of doing discipleship. And I, I do think the root of all this is individualism. And we have to see that we aren't the only people a part of this story. And we're not the first person to think about all of these uh, on the one hand, if you're conservative, doctrines, or if you're uh, more progressive, doubts. These have been mm-hmm. in the conversation for a long, long time before us. That's that is fantastic. Can you do you have an example of like? Gosh, I just I love that you use that parable of the, the storehouses and, and and bringing out those riches. W- what is an example of a an individualistic experience of evangelicalism that you ended up deconstructed and deconstructing had replaced in ways that were more satisfying and more resonant with your experience of reality and, and the gospel. Like, can you give an example, like what, concretely, what does that look like? Yeah, I think salvation is the easiest example. You know, if, if salvation is about, you know, Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins. Don't hear me wrong. That's a true statement that, that it's, <laughs> it is at least that, you know, that's good. Cause uh, I would have had yeah. to do some editing for this <laughs> episode. <laughs> like who did I, you would call the gospel coalition to be over. Um, but, <laughs> but no, um, that's true. That's true. Yeah. It can't be less. It can't be less than that. But what mm. is God saving me? for uh going back to genesis 12 the you know the abrahamic covenant when god calls abraham out he says i'm going to make you okay so that, that's something that's individual right you mm. a great nation so that you can go bless the nations out of you will come a people to bless all the peoples of the world we're part of something way bigger than ourselves and our salvation is not just me getting saved so i can go to heaven one day it's it's being transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, where everybody else is here with me too. And we've been sent out on a mission to redeem the world, not just to um, make everybody think like us or vote like us or look like us or talk like us, but to actually re-Edenize the world so that it looks more like the kingdom of God, which by the way, is founded on righteousness and justice. 
And you look mm. at the two sides and you see and you see mm. the right is talking about righteousness and the left is talking about justice. And you have the prophets of the Old Testament and Jesus himself and Paul and Peter saying, no, 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 it's both. It's righteousness and justice, how I relate with God and how we relate with you, with others. Mm. And that's that that it, it, that deconstructs your individualism. That mm. and really the thing that needs to be can deconstructed is our individualism. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. if we actually had an understanding of of the covenant, the covenants and covenantal theology, right? The fact that Abraham and every descendant thereafter, but I would also include Noah, and even you know we can talk about the the uh, um, the Adamic covenant too. But I'm you know don't want to put my Presbyterian nerd glasses on <laughs> too quickly. Um, but like if if we understood God's blessing, which salvation, if nothing else in, is included therein is intended to be given such that we are commanded and obligated to then bless the nations in the Old Testament is the language, and then our neighbor in the New Testament, right? Wow, we wouldn't even need Michael's point about uh, public theology needing to be mm-hmm. recovered if we actually were operating off of a biblical salvation schema. Um, yeah, that makes total sense. Can I insert one thing here too? Please go. Yeah, yeah so... Um man, I love what y'all are saying about this. And this is probably my experience recently. So I'm a pastor of communities. Um, It's my job is to get people to get along in small groups. And um, I'm going to pray for you, bro. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Um, But I think that, so like like an aspect of salvation that is rarely, I think historically, at least in my experience, discussed is um, it's like Jesus saves you to help you realize your full potential. And then the correction was, well, he saves you to be a blessing to the nations. And yet we never talk about the fact that he saves us into a family where Mm -hmm. we are to kind of take this collectivistic first century Hebrew worldview and say, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. Like my first priority is the family of God before my own biological family. Um, And like, if you're interested in it, or if you haven't read it, it is a book called when the church was a family by Joseph Hellerman. Um, And it is like, his the whole first chapter, and this is going to ruin my sermon in three weeks. But no one from my church will listen to this, so <laughs> I don't care. But his whole first chapter is like the Titanic and how um, in in the Titanic, which I haven't seen. Don't berate me. Um, but basically, like we all as Americans are like, oh, she did the right thing. Like she chose Leonardo DiCaprio, who is just like Chef's kiss as far as a good looking dude, but also not a jerk. And people in Jesus's day would have been like, why would you put yourself in front of your family? Like that is ridiculous Mm. to ever consider yourself as a higher priority than your family. And Jesus says that we are to love the family of God so much that we should hate that family that, that he's talking about in this chapter. And it's like, man, like what if we valued loving each other as much as we kind of give platform to loving and being a light to the lost? Mm. Um, what would the church kind of look like if we were able to recapture that vision for salvation too, is that we are saved from, um, from hatred and discord with each other. And we are saved into a new way of being family where we get to practice self-sacrifice and be exposed in our sin, but encouraged in a holiness in a totally new and beautiful way. And so, um, I just wanted to add that point in as like the, my free plug for community as a community pastor. No, well, and I think... I think, too, think about how pastoral that doctrine is. I mean, it's not just a a reality that we've been adopted into a family. That's a comfort that we've been Mm -hmm. adopted into a family. And 
you know, uh, th- this is a huge part of my testimony. I mean, I-, I was just reading the other day in the Psalms when it says, even when my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Mm-hmm. That verse is literal in my life mm. with my story. And even though my father and my mother have forsaken me, the Lord has received me. And in he's received me into his family where I am given a new family, even when my family is broken and, and can never be what I wish it would be for me. And so there's two sides of this. There's always two sides of the conversation. I feel like when we're talking about deconstruction and, and faith crises, we have to talk to both the left and the right. Mm, yeah. People are deconstructing because the church has not mm. been their family. Right. Or they trusted them as their family and they were betrayed, whether that's abuse or hypocrisy or, or whatever, turning a blind eye. The church hasn't been their family and, and that sets off a deconstruction. But at the same token, I want to turn to the people who have deconstructed and say, where will you go to find a family other than the family of God? Hmm. You have been adopted into a family that will transcend every other family. Even though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Who else will receive you like that? Hmm. And if you find belonging in a community today, the belonging with people is always going to be somewhat uh, uh, fleeting. And mm. we can't, we can't put our hope and our trust in that. We have to put our hope and trust in the Lord and in the family that He adopts us into, in the kingdom that He has for us of His beloved Son. So, uh, and and that's where you get into different things like un- union with Christ and being united with Christ and everything that He has is you have and you're in Him and He's in you and you know we can go on forever. But I, I think that's important to say that even at something like what Brooks is talking about, the doctrine of adoption. This isn't just a doctrine mm-hmm. that you believe. This is an experiential reality in people's lives that one the church needs to take more seriously. Absolutely, a thousand percent. But also, I just want to look at the people who have been hurt and say, who else is your family? Who else will love you that way? And, and that's yeah. my question. You know, union with Christ is like my favorite topic of all time, probably that and eternity. So, man, well, and I, I feel like this actually, we can totally keep talking and, and, and follow these threads wherever we go, um, because I could talk about this all day, especially like as we're, as we're getting into some of this stuff, because, but uh, if I, I do also want to tie together some of the threads that we've we've been we've been kind of exploring and and, and watching come in parallel and you know um, Brooks your point and Ian building on this really uh, brings things together in a way that is just really profound to me because you said earlier you know you, you were talking about how your church uses the phrase of you know you, or, or or maybe people you know want to be in a place where you don't have to believe in order to belong right. That is absolutely, that's actually something I've said a lot. That's a huge part of the, the vision for the table. Um, and I love saying it particularly on Baptism Sunday. Yeah. You know, when, and, and I'm Presbyterian. I'm probably the only Pado Baptist here. Um, and no, not like mm-hmm. the Eastern Orthodox guys on YouTube that went viral, right? I, I've flirted with it. I've, I'm thinking about it. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I'm deconstructing well, baptism right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's beautiful. And we can definitely talk then. Um, but like you do that. the whole point of, of pedo baptism is and, and the idea of covenant uh, as the as the foundation for that sacrament is that it, God uses our belonging in order to for us to believe. Right. And and in, in that belonging and believing we are becoming. And that that is the the Christ likeness, as Paul describes in in the New Testament. Um, that is the 
the, the sanctification and holiness that happens in the Old Testament, all of this comes together. And, and what strikes me is that the stories of people who are deconstructing, it is actually a, a, a fracturing and fragmenting, not of belief initially, but of belonging first. And, mm-hmm. and that the path forward has got to be some kind of hospitable invitation and embrace and welcome. And, and that means not just like a tolerance of hurt and anger and pain, but a, a, a weeping with those who weep. And it has got to be a moving toward people that you, <clears throat> let's just face it, it's limited on Twitter and that's okay. But that's the work of the church, not influencer. And yeah. Now, for, for the record, you know, on, on the flip side, you know, I don't want to give the impression that belief is unimportant, right? Like, you know, belief, sure. it is a, you know, cornerstone foundation of, of our faith. Um, and that's one thing I appreciated about John Mark's sermon is that, he, you know, he was talking about how, you know, um, deconstruction for deconstruction, like, own, for deconstruction for itself is not the end goal. It's to, like, you know, get to the other side and figure out what mm. true Christianity is, you know, and, and what what to actually believe about it. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway, I, I, once again, you know, kind of going off of Ian's critique of both both the right and the left, I think that's important to, to establish. Well, and two, I think when I, I agree with both of you, I think you're both you you do have to talk about both of those things. And for me and Brad, you started you started to say this. And I think that's the poignant question is the question we do have to ask ourselves is who are we becoming? Because the point of our beliefs isn't just to like believe things and check off a card. It's to become more like Christ, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's, again, a, a word for the people in the church and the people who have deconstructed and have maybe left the church behind and is who are we becoming and if again if if it's a path of self-fulfillment it's always going to left leave us feeling empty but if it's a path towards being more like christ if we believe christ is the fullness embodiment of everything that is god and everything that is human right then becoming more like him will lead us into that um but the people in the church i mean if if all they see it as is a belief to make it into heaven one day or feel good as a person right now, it's never going to fill the tank the way it should. And if somebody deconstructing thinks, well, these beliefs are limiting me from being who I truly am or who I Mm -hmm. could be, then of course I'm going to shed them to go follow whatever else. I, I think, you know, in my article, we haven't mentioned it yet, but you know, the, the thing that probably got the attention the most was when I critiqued the liturgists and I, I don't want to go full swing into them right now, but one of their new projects on their podcast, cause I had to check in was they are starting to, <laughs> they are starting to say, Hey, we want to reconstruct a version of Christianity that, um, we can all sign on for, which is an interesting task uh, after uh, uh, the the paths that they have they have been down. And one of the things that they keep saying, and you know, I, I could probably talk about that forever, and I don't feel like it right now. But <laughs> one of the things they keep saying is, we don't we don't want to reconstruct uh, beliefs. Uh, it, we're not about beliefs right now. And my first impression of that is. That's impossible. Like, that's that's impossible. That in and of itself (laughs) is a belief that we don't need beliefs. And so beliefs are important, like what Michael was saying. uh, But I don't think they're important for the reason that a lot of us were told. They're important for Mm -hmm. the reason of uh, having orthodox Christian historic beliefs, at least in my view, maybe that makes me individualistic, but is (laughs) reality, is reality. Mm -hmm. 
And when we line ourselves up with reality, we become mm. who we're meant to be, which is more like Christ. Who are yeah. we imitating? Are we imitating uh, our own desires for self-fulfillment? Are we imitating the dominant culture that we grew up with? Mm. And, or are we imitating Christ? And I think we all have to answer that question. Well, and I think that's the difference between, you know, our culture's version of deconstruction and deconstruction from, if you will, a Christian perspective. Because for them, and what you saw on the Twitter thread, the hundreds of tweets that, you know, the comments under my <laughs> tweet was that, well, as long as they're happy or, you know, whatever works for them, basically this idea of like, you know, this is my truth. This is, this is my truth. This is my reality. And it, to the neglect of, you know, objective truth, because there is objective truth, right? And like, if we are created in the image of God, like human beings are created in the image of God, then we have to align ourselves with, you know, what God mm. has created us for. And Tim Keller always gives like an illustration of if you like, you know, um, take a watch and start to nail a hammer with it, or you take like a toaster and like you throw it in the pool, you're not using what those devices are made for, you know, like you, you you use a toaster to toast, you use a watch to tell the time. And mm -hmm. similarly, like human beings are made with, you know, a purpose. And so um, the, once again, you know, the, the idea is uh, biblical deconstruction, um, if I could use that term, is finding out what true Christianity really is. You know, um, I think mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis once said, uh, the, the re reason um, to look past something is to see what's, you know, behind it. Or, or you know, the reason you want to see through something is to see what's on the other side, right? Um, mm -hmm. if, you, if you keep, like, trying to, like, see through everything, then you're, you're going to get nothing. And, and the idea of um, deconstruction from a Christian standpoint is to see what's on the other side, to see, you know, what, um, what true Christianity really is. Um, so, yeah. That's so interesting because I've been sitting here thinking about... Uh, you know, Ian, your your point around um, with evangelicalism and the the similarities between that and where people who are deconstructing like the liturgists go, like I just kept thinking, like, wow, that's a remarkably evangelical way of doing things. And huh. and part of me is like, you actually haven't deconstructed enough. Like, you actually should keep going because you're only deconstructing like the good parts, and you're not getting to the the, the root of the things you legitimately have a problem with in, within evangelicalism. Um, but Michael, you're, I, I, I love that, that C.S. Lewis quote. Um, and it like, so which is it? Is it they're not deconstructing enough or it's trying to see through everything. So it's deconstructing too much. Um, and, and I think this is a, this is a fascinating question just because I, I, I was thinking about how, right. St. Augustine, uh, his quote of, uh, you know, I believe in order to know. And, there is there is a distinction between the two, yeah. right? It's not that our beliefs are reality, but the hope is that we our beliefs are in line with what is new, right. and therefore we should deconstruct those beliefs that are not helping us move toward knowing. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I just this uh, that was more of observation than question. I should have figured out a way to like frame that as a question. But yeah, I, I agree with what Michael is saying. I think if. I'm looking at this from a perspective of someone who's deconstructed. My response would be, I don't want to look past the thing that is to see the thing behind it. Why can't I just appreciate this right now? Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I have sympathy for that because uh, for whatever, you know, actually it probably comes back to a lot of the uh, 
premillennial dispensationalism, to be quite honest, but <laughs> is, you know, evangelicals have a, a more disembodied view of the world than not, where the, there always is something on the other side of this. So I, I can't appreciate this thing right now, rather than experiencing uh, the joy of everything that God has created and his good gifts and what he's given you in this life. And if you have blessing, enjoy the, the blessing that God has given you. I, I, I get that. Mm. The, the thing I would want to say to that, though, is the, the person who just says, like, what about just this? Why can't I, why do I have to look past it? Why not just this? Quite frankly, that is why, uh, you know, in classic uh, angsty fashion, Ecclesiastes is my favorite book of the Bible oh. because it, it mm. speaks to all of this where it just says, look at everything you have, everything that brings you joy, everything that brings you comfort, everything that brings you security and, and, and meaning in this world. None of it matters. All of it's meaningless. It's not that it matters. It's mm. not that it doesn't matter uh, in the moment, but it, it, it is a vapor here for a moment, gone the next, tossed to and fro with the wind. And so I need hope for something more than this moment right now. I can enjoy this moment and also need hope for what's beyond this moment for something deeper than this moment right now what we have and so what is the what is the end of all things this is a fear of god and keep his demands this is for all of humanity you know okay. and because mm-hmm. that is where true hope and meaning is found um and so uh, there's that balance of of pulling those two things back together of yes of course enjoy this moment of course enjoy the sunset for the sake of being the sunset but don't put your hope in the sunset because one day the sun's going to be gone, whether that's the second coming of Christ or the Andromeda galaxy hurling into the Milky Way, whatever it's going to happen, it's not going to be here forever. So put your hope for something above the sun, not in the sun itself. Wait, is that like an actual risk? The end, I, I mean, I've, I feel like we have enough things to be afraid of right now. Ian. Yeah, I think uh, that was like a Christopher Hitchens thing, and it's scheduled perfect. for like two billion years from now. So okay, good. put it on your calendar. Does anybody know about the super volcano in Yellowstone or... Something isn't that like dude? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. But that's so great. to that, Ian. So um, like, kind of like, man, like that's kind of like what John Mark gets to at the end of that teaching is. Mm. Um, he says faith is an all human thing. We all live by faith, whether or not we realize it. Which I went to a private Christian undergrad school who specialized in Christian worldview. So got that point. Love that. Um, but he says, call it whatever name you want to, we have to, this is where I love what he says. He says, we have to rely on the mental maps of something or someone who is ahead of us on the spiritual journey, who has been there and knows the way, but we have not been there ourselves. So we must find a guide who is trustworthy and true and live by faith in the mental maps that are handed to us. And I love that because it's like, how do you navigate reality? And like so much of the current project is like, well, uh, no one's handing me mental maps. I mean, maybe like my mental maps are being influenced by my Twitter and my Instagram, but that's not really real. Like I'm still constructing it myself. And so like, I'm not under the influence of anybody. I don't have faith in anything. And it's like, there's such hypocrisy in that. And um, I just, I think it was John Tyson at Q conference. He was talking and he was saying um, basically like, and I've experienced this personally is there are people who have been in the process of deconstructing and very similar to what John Mark said in his sentiment and his teaching is like, we try to be a safe space. We mm-hmm. try to teach nuance and thoughtfulness and we try to be respectful and we try to do all this stuff. And yet sometimes mm-hmm. uh, if we don't budge on what we feel like is a part of the Orthodox faith of Christianity, they still walk away and yeah. man, it sucks. 
It's mm-hmm. painful. It makes you question if everything you're doing is worth doing anymore. Because at the end of the day, you did everything you thought you were supposed to do. And I, I'll never forget John Mark. He was talking about situations like this. And he said, um, all I ask people who do that is in a year, evaluate their life and ask themselves, am I more like Jesus because of this decision? Because anytime you make a decision like that in the moment, you're going to feel happy because it is the release of tension. Right now you feel it tension because you feel at odds with this church that is going against these beliefs that maybe you're wanting to reconstruct or deconstruct or whatever. And you don't know who like you want to be and you don't know who you're becoming. You're trying to build your own mental maps and they're trying to hand you one and you don't like it. And so you feel all this tension inside. And so when you walk away, there's this immediate release of that tension, almost like popping your back. And you're like, ah, oh, that feels so good. Finally, I'm not in this tension anymore. But ask yourself in a year, am I more like Jesus? And do I love my neighbor more like I love myself? And for me, like that whole thing of like mental maps that he was getting to at the end, like just hit on that point. And it was so poignant and so timely and so hopeful because I do like try to live by that. And I do try to create a safe space where people can do that and reconstruct faithfully, but it doesn't always work and it sucks. And so, um, yeah, man, that, that is a, that's so helpful. And I wonder, it was funny when Bryce and I started this podcast a year ago, like it was, it was like 11 and a half months ago that we, we kind of started going down this road and it was under this, uh, thesis, hypothesis, hope, really, that, uh, that this actually was going to be a catalyst for some really significant spiritual renewal, growth, um, renewed interest in the church, what have you. And it kind of feels a little bit like the opposite. Uh, and I wonder if that release of tension that you're talking about is like de- is, is part of what is driving some of the deconstruction conversation because we just need a freaking break from things and people are feeling stressed, but most of the people who are, I, I don't want to make too many assumptions with this, but just from what my own observations with are, which are extremely anecdotal. Um, it really feels like it's, that is the combination of like, I need a break and a release, but also I have enough privilege to be bowling with bumpers, not actually throw a gutter ball. So even then, I'm not used to, like, for example, the persecuted church or the black church that has actually had to deal with this tension in the long term, and I'm not used to it. And so I'm going to, like, uh, uh, find any way I can to relieve the tension, and that actually becomes primary. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Because I, I, I'm literally, I'm, this is me uh, maybe connecting dots that may not be connected. So do you see that at all, too? I think for me, when and and I, I'm I'm hoping this is related because I, I don't want to use the same word a different way, but I, I think mm-hmm. we have to ask ourselves: Is the point to relieve the tension? Because uh, even which makes it hard. And but again, man, I keep coming back to this: both sides try to relieve that tension in some way, oh, yeah. whether that is doubling down on our, you know, our our beliefs that we hold. We're Calvinist. We're not Calvinist. Whatever you know what I mean, or um, or deconstructing yourself out you know a lot of a lot of the deconstructions talks about well i'm asking questions i'm having my doubts and like all of that is good i I want you to question you know Mm. um but it the end of that is still trying to relieve 
tensions, just in a different way. A lot of the mm. same tensions, but in a different way than the answers they were given in church. And so, you know, I think if we really truly do see through a glass dimly, then we're never mm. going to be able to release some of these tensions. I, I go back oh, to JT yeah. English in the training program. One of the things he said, again, this is a this is a by all you know standards a uh, conservative church, Calvinist church. I'm actually not Calvinist, but the church is. And one thing that he said was all heresy is born by trying to relieve the tension. And mm. that's, that's coming from a, con, a conservative church. I, I was never given that paradigm in my life. And so I think if we had a little bit more, uh, you know, is it free will or God's sovereignty? Is it complementarianism or egalitarianism? Is it, you know, is it this or is it that? A little bit of, okay, maybe I see it this way a little bit more. Maybe you see it that way a little bit more. But let's at least live in this tension a little mm. bit uh, because we are seeing through a glass dimly. Let's not pretend to have certainty on everything. Now that we've, right. you know, there's this, is the Bible clear and all this different stuff. If we can, <laughs> if we can get past it, Jesus is Lord, right? Then let, let's let the tension linger a little bit, uh, because none of us have the corner on this market. And for us to be the family of God that Brooks was talking about earlier, that's going to require humility and putting others above ourselves, which sometimes means, Hey, here's, here's where I'm at. Here's my conviction. Here's why. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not going to pretend like I totally get it because um, I see this as being pretty valid too in some ways. Uh, and so let's um, let's talk about it and try to figure it out more, but let's not divide over it. Yeah, there's a <laughs> maybe second only to individualism, a characteristic of Western culture is uh, categories over narratives uh, and certainty over mystery, right? Like we, 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 when you interpret scripture through a Western lens and, and think that the problem is scripture, which is written with a Mediterranean Middle Eastern lens, um, that's, that's going to be, well, actually it all, it all goes back to individualism because it's all about me again, still, because we assume that it's written primarily to us as opposed to us getting to look over the fence into what God, what God was using his prophets and apostles to communicate to his people in that moment of time and in that place. I love that you said that because that was a huge shift for me was going from seeing the Bible from uh, read it to get the right beliefs and then kind of I, that was, reading the Bible is actually really hard for me because it was like, if I believe all the right things, why do I need to read the Bible? Um, because isn't that the point of the Bible is to give me those beliefs. Um, and so sure. once I, once I check off the boxes, what else is there to do? Right. And I think you just said the quiet part out loud. (laughs) That was, that was why I struggled with it, you know? And, um, but flipping from, no, 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 it's not a category. It's not a, it's not a a book to get all the right answers from per se. It's a story that we're all living into. It's a narrative. It's a, it's a narrative that we're all living into God's story of the world, the true story of the world. And that was, that was a huge flip for me where, um, I was the one, you know, in my deconstruction, downplaying doctrine. I don't want to be, you know, don't talk to me about doctrines. I don't want to be dogmatic. It's it's kind of, you know, whatever you believe or or whatever. But realizing that doctrine isn't just the right answers. Doctrine is the script to the story that we're living. And if Mm -hmm. we don't have the right script, we're not living in the right story. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that's Kevin Van Hooser's, you know, faith uh, seeking 
uh, yeah, faith speaking understanding and um, talking about how it, it's a script that we live. And if we don't, if we're not holding the right script, we're not living in the right story. We're separated from reality, which leads to disintegration, which leads to unfulfillment, unhappiness, which leads to all these different things. We're only fulfilled when we're living in the right story. And the function of doctrine is not to be right and go to heaven. It's to make sure we have the right script in our hands. So we're lining up with reality. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> but that's no, not, but that's not taught, but you know what I mean? That's not, yeah. that's not the culture that we swim in. That's not what our mm-hmm. churches are teaching us. And so that's why it's so hard for me when people go, well, I don't, what you say you believe doesn't line up with what I'm seeing here, or you, it doesn't address these injustices that I, I see in the world, or it doesn't account for who I am as a person that is different than who you are. I can't, I I can't blame people for deconstructing when that's the perspective that they're given. Um, but it's such a new perspective in church history. That's mm-hmm. not how, you know, the saints throughout the ages have really thought about the Bible and, and, and doctrine itself. Man, I, I feel like that is an amazing note to end on. For sheer virtue of time, we might need to do like a part two, or maybe this would be a part three and four versus part one and two, uh, looking at the clock. But I, what I love about that, Ian, what you're what you're saying there is, um, and I don't, we definitely did not set out to do this because we started this having a conversation about deconstruction, and I feel like where we've ended is actually the conversation that those who are deconstructing would have loved to have been a part of and heard. Uh, at least at the front end, if not before their deconstruction in ways that might have either eased the the difficulty, redirected, refocused it, and or prevented it in the first place. Because this is the kind of stuff that um, if the church is able to have a more intentional conversation around, I think we have, I mean, the church has is this steward of the gospel. It's, it's the body of Christ. And so there is that hope that is yet to offer. And we, it's still God's plan A and there is no plan B. And I'm glad he knows what he's doing. So on that note, thank you guys. This has been a blast. When I hit stop, we're going to continue to nerd out on things, I think. Um, but I'm an hour behind you too, so maybe not. But anyway, <laughs> thank you again. And let's do this again sometime. Right, thanks, thanks for having us on, Brad. Absolutely.